certainly in the past decade or so, we've seen more of an embrace of mature themes and discussion and not just dismissing that out of hand and just being like, you're taking this too seriously. This is for games. Hi, I'm Sean, and this is Boss Fight, a podcast about the real-life challenges we face and how we overcome them. When we're all living in an extended quarantine and coping with high levels of stress, video games can be a welcome reprieve from the real world. But when parts of your escape become surrounded by toxicity, how do you cope? Joshua Laga joins me to talk about finding your place in a community that enjoys talking about games without being swept up in the negativity of it all. We also discuss some of the inherent issues of viewing games as art, what that means for the community, and how some games find different ways to balance on that spectrum. Oh, yeah. I, I would say I'm hyped to be here, but here is my desk. I'm hyped to be at my desk talking to you. That's how I'm doing. All right. Yeah, I'm hyped to be in my bedroom in my very janky podcast setup, but but it works. I mean, a janky podcast setup is like a quarantine mainstay at this point. So you're in good company. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I've, I've been living this entire year as if my home is a uh, temporary situation, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd, you'd think I'd have upgraded by now. I, I feel that. Even before quarantine was going on, there was shit I still hadn't like unpacked for moving in. So I relate to permanent temporary situations. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I use the quarantine as an excuse, but uh, I started working from home in January. So... Mm. Like I really got a head start and then just kind of let it, let it go. Yeah. When, when everyone else came around and working from home, you're like amateurs. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, cool. I like to start off by uh, getting to know you a little bit uh, with the segment I call create a character. Yeah. So yeah, let's get started. If you had a character class, uh, you as a person, uh, what would that be? Ooh, um, I always jokingly not jokingly say to one of my friends that I want to be a monk from like childhood honestly it always appealed to me that idea of sort of just focusing on like I don't know just your connection to people around you and your connection to your environment and not getting caught up in and I don't mean this to seem like a flying in the face of like uh, what a lot of games are about because collecting is a huge part of that and it's sort of uh, contradictorily uh, that's not how you pronounce that word I'm a big fan of collecting stuff when it fits the mood but I, I am more and more finding that I want fewer things and to just enjoy the things that I do have so I feel like I feel like the monk vibe plus like I always from an early age was into Star Wars and the whole like Jedi thing was like I don't know I, I kind of like that like vibe of like not really having to deal with a whole lot of worldly attachments and just sort of focusing on like, you know, the few things that are under your control, I guess. So yeah, I, I think Monk. And then you had, uh, uh, did you want to lead this? Because you had mentioned ability. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess as a monk or just as you in your life, like what, what would your special ability be like related to that? <sighs> I mean, if I could like just regenerate infinite spoons and just throw spoons at people. Uh, <laughs> I, I feel like that would be a fun one because it's just like, it'd be more bewilderment to anyone I'm dealing with. Just like, where are all these spoons coming from? But yeah, a, a more, I guess, pragmatically, this isn't like an exciting one, but like conflict resolution, I guess, but more in the, this, uh, the form of like, I'm trying to get how to phrase this. I, I feel like, 
One of my biggest gripes in storytelling is when the conflict feels forced, like they needed conflict to have something exciting happen. But if the conflict doesn't feel earned, then it's not exciting. It just feels tedious. And that was a, a thing that I constantly found myself and still find myself thinking when I'm like watching like a show or a movie or reading something or even playing some games. It's kind of like, okay, I get that our default setting is that there has to be conflict to advance the plot. But like, I, I think in a lot of those situations, I find myself thinking like, what if there was just better communication here? And instead of having conflict between these two parties or whatever it is, you know, they worked things out. And I, I feel like there's like a threshold there where you could break through to like a more interesting next step for that. Where instead of it just being like, we fight, one of us wins, that person is right. What if it was like, multiple parties working out like a solution that's mutually beneficial instead of it just being this like one crushes the other kind of vibe. So that's what I would pick. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very, very monk-like, probably less interested in like dealing harm and more about coming to some understanding. Yeah, ideally. Yeah. And what about the sort of flip side of that? What would your weakness be? Uh, forks, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what am I weak to? Uh, bullets, uh, falling from great heights, falling from middle heights. I, I'm definitely weak to cars that are going fast. Um, <laughs> so just not a very uh, fortified person. Yeah. I, I If I could re-roll for higher like durability, I definitely would. But unfortunately, I got stuck with like a very middle tier human character. So yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I think that's, Probably something most people can relate to, but <laughs> valid. <laughs> I, I can give a more serious answer if you want. No, that's perfect. So we'll just start with like a basic icebreaker type question. Uh, what kind of games are you playing right now? Uh, right now, I am playing a lot of Pokemon Shield. That I picked up that game around launch and was dealing with something. I think a lot of millennials who have played Pokemon since launch Will probably relate to which is just perpetual burnout from that series but a refusal to give up on the series because it means something special to you so that's been a thing that i've kind of grappled with kind of on and off through the past handful of generations of pokemon games where it's been like okay there's like a level of excitement and i definitely want to get something out of that experience but in a lot of cases it feels like a kind of repetitive thing and it's like okay i'm enjoying aspects of this, but also feel like I've done most of this before. And there's sort of like a, I almost respect their dedication to not shaking up the formula a whole lot, but to kind of redirect to S.H.I.E.L.D. specifically, I feel like the reason why this one's really resonating with me is uh, since I got back into it, I realized that they took a lot of liberties with this one that feel less like they're just trying shit and more like they're really learning from other games that have iterated on what Pokemon might have introduced people to. And I, I see a lot of Persona influence in S.H.I.E.L.D. with like some of its comedic timing and a lot of its style. Certainly, I wouldn't say it's as good as Persona 5, but for a Pokemon game to learn from something contemporary, that's pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. I feel like any change that we get in a Pokemon game is like you have to appreciate that, right? Yeah. And any change that doesn't feel like, cool, we added layers of mechanics from the past three generations that aren't compatible with each other and then introduced a new one. So have fun juggling these. Right. But yeah, so it's been a lot of that. And I've been getting a lot into uh, Minecraft. I've been playing on a modded server with my brother. So that's been pretty fun. 
I, I always wanted to get into Minecraft when it was like newer, but I just never had a PC and just felt like I would be missing out if I wasn't playing it with that kind of UI to it. So uh, yeah, mostly Pokemon and Minecraft. I can totally relate to you on on the Pokemon thing. Like it's probably one of the first video game obsessions that I ever had. Mm. Yeah, perpetual burnout sounds just about right. <laughs> like probably, yeah, I think it was around Gen 4, which is I think the the remake that's just coming out. But um, yeah. By the time I'd finished Alpha and Sapphire, I don't rem- actually remember which version I had, but I, I felt like, I was like, okay, uh, I feel kind of done with this. I, I bought Diamond and Pearl, mm-hmm. one of them, and did not get very far in it. And then I totally skipped uh, Black and White Generation. Gotcha. Uh, and then kind of jumped back in on X and Y. And I think that was because like the shift to 3D felt like it was, even though you know mechanically it, it really didn't play all that much differently, but I felt like that was like enough of a leap to feel more significant. And then plus skipping two generations by that point, it did actually feel like a pretty significant change up. Yeah. Like you had missed uh, enough for it to feel like, oh, there's new shit to see here. Exactly. Exactly. And and that experience kind of made me feel like, oh, maybe this is how I should approach Pokemon now. Because they're at a point now where they're coming out every three years or so, I think, with like a new generation. Yeah. it, It feels like it's about that often and then in between that there's like a remake or like a it, it enhanced version or something and i don't know but like yeah i feel like to avoid that burnout there has to be some sort of balancing there of like uh you've, you've got to pick which ones you choose and which ones feel like it's like the the advancement that you've been waiting for you know definitely and i mean it's it's interesting to see them take it in a direction that feels more and more similar to how like the Zelda games are or the Mario games even where they're kind of establishing different branches of it Mm -hmm. which and obviously like Pokemon has always had like tons of different types of entries but it's always kind of felt like there's the mainline games and then there's everything else and and everything else can be a total uh, hit or miss sort of thing where like Troze I had a lot of fun with uh, and, and Shuffle was pretty cool and like you know there are classics like the the early like TCG and pinball games um, yeah. and like stadium and Coliseum like that. There's a lot of really well-loved stuff in there uh, in between more baffling ones like uh, the upcoming Pokemon sleep. Yeah. Uh, which I haven't heard a lot about that lately. <laughs> I haven't. Either. I will say though, I will say um, my daughter has been using the Pokemon smile. Yes. And it is incredible. I've been using that too. <laughs> it's definitely not made for my age group, but it's fun. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. She's already caught them all. So, oh wow, I have some catching yeah. up to do. Yeah, she's a she's a an, an avid uh, toothbrusher. That's good. Yeah, yeah. This kind of actually leads into my next question a little bit, which was dental um, hygiene. Yeah, not not exactly. Um, <laughs> it's more about the video game community and how shitty it can be sometimes. Sure. And, but at the same time, like you and me are both a part of that community. We yes. engage in groups dedicated to talking about video games with other people. Mm-hmm. So there are obviously like pros and cons, but feels like this com- happens every time a new Pokemon game comes out where like <laughs> there's just this barrage of toxicity. Yeah. People not getting what they wanted or I don't know. But anyway, it's, it's, it's very interesting being a part of that community where it, has such wide range of like pros and cons. I guess, how do you feel about your part in that community? 
Part of this, which I'll save for later, relates to my thoughts on the medium in general, where it's simultaneously art, but also very much a commercial effort. And I think the way that you get people into gaming in the first place and how that's mostly a result of, and not that all art forms aren't this for most people, but I think the way most people get into games is through some consequence of a marketing effort through advertising or through trying to make something hype so people are talking about it. I I feel like that has something to do with just the type of tone it establishes for people to build off of. But that's definitely like a a broader category. It's difficult to paint with a prod brush there. But um, Mm -hmm. it's weird because there's an element of like, and I don't mean to perpetually center myself and people like me in this. There's something that feels very applicable to people around my age group in that gaming feels like it has this like perpetual arrested development kind of thing going on. And there's certainly in the past, you know, decade or so we've seen uh, more of an embrace of mature themes and discussion and not just dismissing that out of hand and just being like, Oh, well that's not, you know, you're taking this too seriously. This is for games. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we are seeing room in the space for, serious discussion, whether it's about behind the scenes and making of and unionization and how workers should be treated, or whether it's about, you know, themes in a story and dealing with really heavy stuff like, you know, Last of Us as a lightning rod example of both what the space is kind of aspiring to have more of as far as the maturity of it. And also Last of Us 2 had an incredible amount of backlash from that toxic element of the community where it seems like just this perpetually online, never satisfied faction of people are just sort of looking for things to complain about. And if it doesn't fall within an incredibly narrow range of perspectives or of lifestyles or of, you know, political biases or whatever, that it just gets torn to absolute shreds and the people along with it who helped make it often get doxxed or otherwise negatively impacted. I mean, that, that shit sucks. They're, like, there's no real downplaying it it's it's an interesting thing to kind of like i guess to bring it to pokemon because you you touched on like there's toxicity in the pokemon fan base which is bizarre because pokemon's like a baby ass baby rpg like for little kids right as far as the gameplay mechanic and if you're if you're in your 30s or 40s or however old you are and you're enjoying pokemon games then by all means enjoy them but they're i think when that criticism comes back to adults making something too serious, it, it kind of starts to feel like the parent whose kid is in Little League and the parents taking it way more seriously than the kids are and the kids are just trying to have fun and the parents ruining the fun by being like, no, you got to train harder. And it's like, dude, they get ribbons and orange wedges at the end of this. Chill out. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty apt comparison. Uh, like, <laughs> it's... <laughs> I think, yeah, it, it, it's. I guess it's hard when you're really passionate about something and then you suddenly realize this thing isn't being made for you anymore. Sure. And yeah, I think like maybe more for like where you or me like fall on this is like we know Pokemon's made to appeal to kids, to people, to people who are getting into the series for the first time. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that we still enjoy it and get something out of it at all is more of like a, it's a bonus, you know? Yeah. It's like, this is great that I get it. You know, it's like I still watch Disney movies with my, with my kid. And I'm like, it's nice that I am able to enjoy that despite the fact that they were made for, you know, younger kids. I think uh, I'm going to 
should take this back to The Last of Us, um, even though I, I'm really tired of talking about that game. <laughs> <laughs> Aren't we all? I think the, uh, the people that like that game like it for two completely different reasons. Or the people that like the first game, I guess I should say. Mm. The fans of that game became fans for, for very different reasons. And when the second game came out, the, the sequel tried to sort of, I don't know, I think it maybe like didn't necessarily realize that. And so it appealed very much to one part of that fandom while the other part felt like completely betrayed by it. Sure. Um, and without getting into spoilers, um, <laughs> I just think that a lot of people maybe missed the point they were trying to get across in the first game. Yeah. Uh, which the second game totally like builds upon. I think that was just where a lot of the, the animosity towards it came from. And that's totally bypassing the the political parts of it. So I think yeah. that that is a huge part of it as well. But there was also, I think, just a part where people just disagreed with story choices, which I feel like make complete sense based on what happened before. Yeah. I mean, if I could add, and again, no spoilers, of course, uh, I haven't even played the game, but obviously it, it's pretty unavoidable. Uh, same with the, the outcome of Avengers Infinity War. You kind of <laughs> just know what happens. Yes. But yeah. A thing that I feel like factors into this, and I, I do not have any sort of expertise in sociology, so disregard my opinion out of hand. The way we engage with things that we feel like we're the customer in, whether it's like when you, when you go to a restaurant or you go to a retail store, there's that encouragement of the relationship of you are the customer and you are always right. And you always like you have to be made happy and your happiness is the priority. Whereas I think with most other forms of art, it's more about having an experience that's genuine. And like, you know, you might go see a Kubrick movie in theaters and feel like it's either a masterpiece or really frustratingly dense and vague and just endlessly bleak. And there's no real wrong way to feel about a piece of art, but you pay admission and you get the experience and that's sort of that. Like you can have the, the greater discussion around it and all of that, but there's no expectation of and i mean i guess if you go to a movie theater you can complain at the front desk but generally if you sit through the whole movie and you're like i didn't like that they're gonna be like well you sat through it so mm -hmm. goodbye <laughs> or at least ideally they will yeah i feel like there's an element of that in games where there's that constant expectation of being appeased in real time and that like sort of like no i expect you to do right by the community sort of vibe to it like it's a little bit more of like a constant especially with live service games now where it's like with something like Destiny, like they push out an update every week and you have thousands of people who are on the subreddit instantly commenting on, you know, the patch notes and what, what the fuck is Cosmo doing or like whatever it is. Yeah. And, and it's like all of this. Oh, you totally nerfed my favorite gun. <laughs> there are so many things or, you know, Smash is another great example where you have, maybe Smash is an interesting one because whether or not Nintendo wants to be a provider to a live service type community is a, is a separate matter. But yeah, I feel like there's something really unique in the gaming space in that you have that group that's constantly waiting for more and there's more of that long-term, you know, it, it's a growing, living thing that's sort of built with the input of the community. And there are parts of that that I think are really cool, but there are also parts of that that people seem to take as license to act really entitled and very toxic. And that part of it definitely needs to be addressed. You know, you can stand up for what you believe is a fair thing to expect in a in a way that's polite and reasonable. And if a 
you know, if you have an egregious case like EA forcing loot boxes on everyone who wants to play Star Wars Battlefront 2 and trying to pass off a sense of pride and accomplishment as the reason for why Darth Vader takes 10,000 in-game hours to unlock, well, then that's a thing that might be worth a little bit of escalation. But you didn't like the story choices or the type of characters shown in a video game isn't a reason to dox the people who wrote or developed a game. Yeah, that's very fair. I think hey, you brought up several great points there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, there was something you mentioned earlier about like where video games kind of have to balance this like they are a product as well as art. Mm. So like part of their job is to sort of appeal to like the widest group of people possible and to make them satisfied with whatever they play while also as art trying to say something, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and when you try to say something, you're not going to, not everyone's going to agree with what you say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, and then I think there is just sort of the people need to understand when they should be using their voice. You know, you, you brought up examples of like, there's reasonable times to speak up against what's happening in the gaming community or the, the, that um, industry. And then there's times where like, you can you're welcome to say that you're not pleased with the way something happened but not necessarily to demand changing it you know yeah well and a thing that i think there's no one answer to is how the developer or the publisher or whomever wants to decide how to approach it because you do have people like you know neil Druckmann or amy hennig or like cory barlog who are trying to tell a specific story and that's what they're after they have a vision and they're conveying it to the best of their abilities and they're taking you through like a linear story and that's a specific choice as opposed to whether you've got like a bioware type experience where it's a story that the player gets to kind of carve out their ideal version of or if it's more of like a live service kind of thing like destiny or avengers or whatever where it really is just the story is kind of ancillary. The bigger focus is what you do in the game world and making you feel total ownership of not only what you're doing in the game, but the direction that the game takes going forward and the updates that we make. Like those are specific choices. And I think, you know, on one hand, a lot of that does come down to how you message that. And we see differences in like some people message those expectations very effectively. And you have. You know, for better or worse, Destiny has a loyal following that I think at this point has more or less settled in. And, you know, you still have people who are way too serious about a video game. But generally, it seems like for the most part, they've found a way to keep most of the players happy and have a reasonable expectation of how, like, in what way they engage with trying to entice new players while satisfying their their core audience. whereas. Pokemon might have a different focus, a different ratio for where their emphasis is on new players versus long-standing players than a game like Destiny might. But you know, ultimately, they have to kind of message that choice and be clear with that. And I think that helps set expectations accordingly. That is definitely one thing with Pokemon. I think that they they really fumbled was the messaging around it mm-hmm. because I think on 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 one hand you could look at it and understand where their reasoning for you know, certain things that cause controversy. Again, this is kind of one of those things where like, I talked about this for a year. I don't really want to get sucked into it again, but New national things decks. like just the, not all of the Pokemon been, being there, yeah. you know? And um, I think they maybe didn't give enough info right up front. Like they kind of give 
half reasons for why that why that happened. And I think that then people started like looking into those reasons and being like, well, that doesn't seem very, very legitimate. And I don't know. Mm. It was just it's a whole mess. But like, I think I think you're 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 very on to something like it is has a lot to do with the way that these changes are messaged and the way people interpret them. Yeah, there's definitely an element too of like just your overall goodwill with your core community and then the broader gaming community at large that I think influences how forgiving people are going to be of maybe fumbling the messaging a little bit. Because, you know, as we saw with uh, CD Projekt Red, goodwill can do a lot, but it can't save you from the consequences of just totally flagrantly disrespecting like you know what your player base wants or what anyone buying a game wants and that's a that's a tricky balance to try to establish and i don't know with with pokemon there's definitely an element of like okay well they've been doing the same thing for a while are they going to update are they going to add new things or is that just not what this is there's so many factors to it because like nintendo is this kind of wild card and obviously game freak has some level of autonomy within nintendo that they have a lot of similar ethos to Nintendo while seemingly basically getting to do whatever they want to. But there's definitely that vibe that's present in Nintendo proper as well of just, we're going to do what we feel is right. And if that utterly confuses the entire world, we're comfortable with that. And I do respect that. Sometimes it can be a little frustrating to follow along. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's interesting seeing different developers, teams, publishers, et cetera, kind of try to come up with, with their answer to these questions that ultimately are subjective to answer. Yeah, I do. I do definitely. I feel like I fall in the line of like respecting yeah, Nintendo and Pokemon Company more for sticking to their guns, even when they make very <laughs> questionable seeming decisions. Mm-hmm. I think there's definitely times where we fair for, you know, the fans to sort of have a bit of a, a backlash and trying to request what they want to see out of the games and um i don't know yeah nintendo's very stubborn i guess about like what they (laughs) what they plan to do yeah this is totally a personal bias thing i don't expect everyone to feel this way but with nintendo there does seem to be like a a philosophical reason for their stubbornness and granted i guess greed is technically a philosophy but like when ea or activision makes a really confounding decision that mostly seems like it points to they want to extract more money from the customer um and not that nintendo wasn't guilty of this because like you know they certainly are but it it feels like with a lot of nintendo's stranger decisions like hey our new console is going to launch mid-generation against the ps4 which is selling astronomically and it's going to be this underpowered weird hybrid handheld thing and it's going to be the hottest shit in the world and you know people were so doubtful before the switch launch because they were just coming off of the wii u and it was like you know, everyone was like, oh man, Nintendo should really step out of the hardware game and just switch to, you know, doing like what Sega does and just being a publisher and put their stuff on every platform. And then they made a lot of people's favorite gaming hardware of all time. And it's really interesting to see. I don't know. Nintendo has an interesting approach to it that I think can be at times extremely rewarding and utterly baffling. <laughs> yeah, that's a great way of putting it. They, um, I appreciate that they experiment because we wouldn't have something like the Switch without that. And, but at the same time, then yeah, you get stuff like the the Wii U, which just did not did not pan out the way they'd hoped for it to. Sure. And I love the Wii U, by the way. 
I, I acknowledge that the the game bad feels very plasticky and it feels, you know, kind of like one of those leapfrog or VTech kind of things. But there's a lot of shit that I played on Wii U first that I was like, this is like a memorable lifetime gaming experience for me. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, I love the Wii U, too. And I think if it had been, I don't know, it's it's hard to look back on like what exactly went wrong there. I know the third party support was like completely lacking. Yeah. But yeah, I, I've been recently playing Pikmin 3 on Switch, and um, nice. while it's great, I actually, I think I had a better time playing it on, on the Wii U with the uh, motion controls, mm. which are like totally gone on the Switch. Oh, interesting. And the Wii U gamepad having the uh, map like all, always up. Yeah. It's such a like silly thing, but it was so convenient to just have a map there constantly. And like that game, you're it's almost like a mini RTS. So you're sort of, you know, bossing people around. You're trying to multitask and... It's really hard to do that when you have to keep pulling up the pause menu to look at your map to like tell people where to go. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's something that I really loved about that. Like the carryover of the the DS style multiple displays uh, sort of vibe, which generally we don't have in console gaming, but I think uh, PC gamers are probably a little bit more familiar with if you, you know, whether it's Minecraft and, you know, you've got recipes open and on one window and you've got, you know, your actual gameplay on the other or whatever it is. Sometimes it helps to have kind of like a reference screen that you just keep up and you kind of look to that when you need to. And I always really love that about the Wii U. And sort of separate from that, but kind of also related, I always wanted them to do uh, Pokemon Snap on the Wii U because that just would have felt perfect if like your main, like here's the world around me was on the TV, but then your actual camera was the gamepad and that's how you like line up your shots. Like... They kind of did that with Fatal Frame on the Wii U, which was dope as fuck, by the way. But I will always be sad that we didn't get Pokemon Snap on the Wii U because that could have been like fucking N64 childhood dreams come true. Right, right. That that definitely felt like it was like the perfect utilization of that. And yeah, I'm glad that we're getting a new Pokemon Snap now. But um, yes, it would have been nice to have it then. For sure. Hopefully the Switch offers some sort of simile of that that you know that experience yeah i hope so all right well i think we're uh, we're nearing the end of this um so i do want to pop into our uh our boss fight segment yeah yeah boss fights all right uh, <laughs> This is just talking about a uh, a personal boss fight in your life, some sort of difficult situation or struggle that you've been going through lately. Um, do you have anything you'd like to discuss? <sighs> yeah, I, I've been I've been buying a lot of PS fives and selling them at markup values. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> no, uh, people who do that You're are like, <laughs> being very unfairly persecuted here. I feel like I'm being personally attacked for my decision to profit off of resource scarcity right now. <laughs> no, uh, scalpers suck, by the way. Yeah, no, uh, this one isn't super recent, but the one that stood out to me when you kind of uh, posited the question was at the beginning of quarantine, which would have been a year ago now, which is uh, super fun, still in quarantine. <laughs> Yeah, at the beginning of quarantine, playing Animal Crossing New Horizons, uh, that was the first Animal Crossing game that I like properly got into. I, I had tried previous entries in the series and 
they just never really stuck with me. And uh, I, I think it's been thoroughly commented on the unique offerings for New Horizons that kind of make it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more appealing to uh, first-time players. And also, there was kind of a unique time and place of quarantine being new, COVID being this really scary, unfamiliar thing, and everyone just seeking something that was comfortable. And the the kind of mass migration to Animal Crossing was something that like brought a lot of people joy, including myself. It'd be weird if I brought it up if it didn't bring me joy. But yeah, it was really cool to see like this big movement of like, you know what? Yeah, shit sucks right now. We have no idea how this is going to shake out. But like, here's this bright spot in this goofy kind of kids game, but not really because it's like, it's like it. I don't know what the ideal age group is, but I think they know that it's mostly like, you know, adults and teens playing Animal Crossing. But yeah, there was something really special about that kind of initial getting into it. And for for me personally, uh, the thing that I learned from Animal Crossing that I found really valuable was how much of a difference having a, a healthy pattern and a routine can make in challenging times. Because um, sometimes, and I mean, I do this especially, if there's something that's bothering me or that feels like a challenge, I have this you know, mentality where like, okay, I, I want to dedicate all of my energy to fixing this or solving it and, you know, dealing with it in some way. You know, I don't want this thing to hang over my life and control how things are going. I, I want to have agency over the situation and feel like, you know, I'm, I'm handling whatever is going on. And I think the, the thing that's paradoxical about that that took me a while to realize is sometimes that's how those things end up exerting control over you is by demanding your attention. And sometimes the way to deal with things is less direct. It's more about taking care of yourself and taking care of those close to you and doing your best to kind of just day by day, you know, handle what needs to get handled and make sure that you're just kind of nourishing like your own health and the health of the people that you care about. Um, and, and there was something really helpful in practicing that in Animal Crossing for me, where it's like, all right, I get on every day. I'm going to pick the fruit. I'm going to go fish, collect some bugs, check out what's new in the shops, say hi to all my neighbors. It really, that was something that I definitely was mindful of and have been kind of trying to apply to my own life ever since of what are those little day-to-day -day things that I can do where you might not be able to, uh, figuratively spar with the big issue in your life, but you can still have agency in your life by handling all these little things. And those things will not only have material benefit in your life, but they'll also, uh, I think, contribute greatly to your overall mindset when you have all these little victories to kind of, uh, you know, keep yourself busy with and to, to look back on. So that was the big thing of finding ways to uh, establish healthy habits and work through uh, uncertain and frustrating times. Yeah, that's that's great. I was playing Animal Crossing with my daughter this morning and nice. found myself actually feeling sort of nostalgic for like that first time, like yeah, you know, uh, jumping into that at the beginning of the pandemic and um, yeah, how uh, surprisingly like therapeutic it it felt. Yeah. And it's that that effect is kind of 
you know, worn off now. Um, and I guess I can still be like grateful for the fact that it was there um, without necessarily like getting that much out of it now. Sure. It was really helpful, wasn't it? Just to have something sort of like relentlessly positive, um, so like focused, you know, to just pour your attention into. Just felt like it was like perfectly tailor made for the exact situation that we were going through in life. Yeah. And I mean, maybe you relate to this. My mind will tend to race. And sometimes when your mind is racing, it's hard to decide uh, what action you're going to take, if any at all. And that doesn't always have to be, you know, like, like a big dramatic action. Sometimes that can just be, you know, get up and take care of yourself today or go walk the dog or just try to be outside if you're in a place that allows you to safely be outside, if that's an option to you. Whatever it is, that there are a lot of little things that just being in motion has a lot of benefits. Like, like your body needs that and your mind benefits from your body being in motion too. And that's a thing that I tend to forget when I'm most preoccupied by something is just like, I'm, I'm just like constantly like, you know, it's like I'm trying to calculate, like, how am I going to like come at this? But sometimes you got to just put yourself to work doing other things and let that shit kind of process in the background or just don't even think about it for a while and come back to it when you've kind of, you know, moved around a little bit. Yeah. I feel like that's something I've brought up with my therapist lately. <laughs> it helps. Sort of this, yeah, this, uh, I, I think, yeah, some people get so caught up in like trying to solve things. You're right. And, and, and sometimes the, the solution is not necessarily direct. It's almost, it's like counterintuitively, just let the thing happen and focus on other things that are going to support that in the uh, you know peripheral and yeah may it'll start to start to work itself out a little bit absolutely i mean i don't know it, it's an aspect of uh related a little bit of a side tangent I, i've been doing my best to practice mindfulness meditation for the past couple of years i have adhd and i have a very active mind so that can be I'm thinking about ideas and I'm super hyped about them, or I can be looking back on things I wish I hadn't done that way or dreading situations that haven't been determined yet and just unnecessarily kind of wearing myself out about them. And one of the big things that I've been trying to keep coming back to that has been emphasized in some of these meditations I've been doing is just like, if you, if you have an unpleasant feeling and you know it feels really intense, it can be really compelling to have that feeling of like, oh, like I, I am this feeling, like I, I am anxious or I am afraid or scared or sad or angry or whatever it is. It, it can be hard to kind of separate, like just kind of observing that feeling rather than letting it like totally steer and be the lens through which you're kind of interacting with your surroundings or whatever the situation is. If it can just be like, hey, like for, for me, anxiety is a big one. So it's like, instead of feeling like anxiety is my lens through which I'm viewing the world or perceiving my situation, it's like, hey, I recognize a feeling of anxiety, but I don't, I don't have to let it like steer, you know? I, I can kind of sit with it and be like, okay, well, I don't need to do anything about that. I don't need to give it my attention. And sometimes it's not that easy. Sometimes things are a lot more intense than that. But even just being able to apply that sort of process of not having every single thing that comes up be okay i gotta deal with this but sometimes it can just be like all right well that's there but i'm gonna get back to 
whatever I'm doing because that's not my priority right now. I don't know. It, it made a big difference for me. Yeah. That's something I'm working on in my life as well. So yeah. And I'm sure I'm sure everyone is in, in their own way. Yeah, it's it's good to try to be aware and to to work on shit that even if it's sometimes seemingly little progress to be shown for your efforts. I, I think if a lot of us were to look back at our our overall capacity for dealing with stressful situations a year ago, hopefully at least, you know, a good number of us find that out of necessity, we've kind of flexed that muscle and developed that skill a little more. Yeah, I'm sure um, despite the uh, maybe burnout we're all feeling, I, th- I think we have all gotten better at handling this, you know? Yeah. I, I guess I would just wrap up my, my TED talk. <laughs> I have a lot of conversations with people in my age group that are, you know, pretty heavy. We're, we're dealing with a lot of things that I, I think maybe before all this, were easier to not have to confront all the time. But I think the past year has definitely shown us that some things, they will be a part of our lives and they will require us to kind of reckon with them at times. And I think as intimidating as that can be, I've been so encouraged and inspired by so many conversations I've had with people my age, with people older than us, with people younger than us, of just like seeing people do their best to to be mindful and to be aware and to be considerate and to, to find those ways to, whether it's for themselves or for their loved ones or for their neighbors or total strangers to, to have a positive impact. Cause we're like, we're not powerless in any of these situations. Like we have a lot of ability to help each other and to make things feel less bleak and hopeless. And I think that's the thing that everyone should just hopefully continue to hone in on is just like, yeah, we're dealing with a lot, but we've also shown how much we're capable of. And I, I think uh, we have a lot of growth still ahead of us and a lot still to, uh, you know, to show that we can do and a lot, of, a lot of good still to impart while we're here. Yeah. And yeah, that's a great way to wrap that up. Yeah. So I'd just like to say um, thank you for joining us here. That was, uh, that was really great. And um, I know... And you're producing some some music. Is there anything you'd like to like plug or anywhere you'd want people to be able to like, reach out and connect with you? Sure. Uh, I'm at Android is a loser on basically every social media platform. I tried getting the username on Kazaa, but I couldn't go back in time to do it. <laughs> yeah, I have a band called OK and another band that's called AV and they kind of intersect sometimes. And I have some new stuff that came out under AV and I have a... I have some stuff coming out under OK, hopefully in the next month or so. It's been a little bit of a journey finding time for it, but I'm, I'm excited to make more constant output a, a part of my life. Uh, being in one's own head often means that you can iterate endlessly on ideas and not necessarily share them with people. And I've been trying to get back around to like, oh yeah, I should like, you know, show this stuff to people instead of just kind of like keeping an endless archive of half-finished things. So... So yeah, follow me on Twitter and I'll, I'll talk shit about your grandparents. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> All right. That's good. Yeah. I, uh, I'm not going to include this in the episode, but uh, I, I, I agree with the uh, endless iteration thing. I've kind of been in the same loop where I've, I feel like I've been like non-existent on Instagram for the past year. Yeah. Even though it feels like, oh, we're in quarantine. Like I have nothing better to do, but 
constantly post on Instagram or something. Sure. But uh, yeah, I, I, I do a lot of, I dabble in all sorts of crap. You know, I'm like, I'm very unfocused. I also think that I have ADHD, but I've never been diagnosed. Mm. Um, but um, it can be a tricky thing to get like a diagnosis for. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mentioned like I'm, I'm seeing a therapist. I asked him about it. He's not an ADHD therapist. So he asked, he had to like refer me to somebody else. And I'm like, I don't know if this is worth it. And I, I honestly don't even know if I feel like I would want to take medication. I'm open to it, but I'm like, I'm just not sure. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, should I really go through like all of this just to get a diagnosis if the diagnosis isn't actually going to give me anything, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, I, I've been learning a lot from ADHD Twitter which is just a fuckload of people who have ADHD and have basically spent, you know, the better part of their lives navigating this. And a thing that I find is a fairly common theme is that therapists often don't know what to do with people who have ADHD. And especially if you live a mostly normal life and you handle a lot of your responsibilities, sometimes people struggle to convince whomever they're talking to that they deserve a diagnosis because a lot of times the understanding of ADHD is very archaic and rooted in, oh, well, you know, you've got to be like a spazzy kid who's like failing out of school or like a certain, you know, pick three things out of a hat sort of thing. And not like, I I don't know. I find it very encouraging to read the stories of people who are like, yeah, I've been dealing with executive dysfunction for most of my life. And here's the ways that I've found to deal with it. But ultimately, you know, yeah, it's, it's a mix, I think, of working with the existing system as inadequate as it is and also finding you know support groups of people who are doing their best to basically crowdsource help for people who need it yeah yeah i think that's kind of the world i need to start exploring too it's like this how are people living with their adhd and developing systems for that because i've mostly been like white knuckling it my whole life you know yeah but uh thank you thank you so much for joining me that was it's a lot of fun Thanks for listening to Boss Fight. Please follow along on Instagram at Boss Fight Podcast, where you'll learn more about our guests and see artwork inspired by the show. Don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes automatically in your podcast player of choice. And remember, Game Over isn't the end. It's just another opportunity to get better. Bye.